Welcome to the Word of Faith Sermon Podcast with Pastor Hagen Lister. Join in with us today, ready to grow in your knowledge of the Bible with practical application for your everyday life. If you're interested in following or learning more, join us on our Facebook page at WOFTX or check out our website at WOFTX.com for location and service times. Now here's Pastor Hagen with today's message. This will be the last part of the series or not, but we've been in a series called um, Why Do We Church, and um, I believe that probably the church has taken on one of the sneakiest attacks that the enemy has pulled on the church in a long time, and it was a perfect storm with lots of complacency going on. And then lots of division in our world, especially our country. And then you throw in there disease that caused us to shut down. And it's created a lot of issues for people. It created a lot of shaking. It created a lot of people being shook away from the church. And in turn, what we've seen, we're just now beginning to see is a lot of the repercussions. A lot of, I'm going to say it in East Texas terms. The chickens are coming home to roost in a lot of people's lives that stopped going to church because they, got, they found all these great excuses. And this is by no means a, a message or a series that it is meant to cause any kind of guilt trips on any person. That's not what it is at all. But as a pastor being concerned, um, Jesus, when he saw a multitude of people, he said he had compassion on them. And he said that they were like sheep having no shepherd. And he told his disciples, he said, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into his harvest field. And so when, when, I, when I look out across the church over the last two or three years, the devastation that has occurred, the people who have, who have fallen away and different things like that, that's how I feel when I look at it. I, there's just compassion there. I say, we've, we've got to begin to, to, to turn this back over to God and God doing some miraculous things in people's lives and I believe that, that, there, that those people that have fallen away and people who have, who have begun to make all these grand excuses as to why they're not a part of the church. And one of the excuses we're going to talk about this morning is the, the, the imperfect church excuse, uh, meaning that, that people are, are, and it's nothing new, but I think it's on grand scale today that people are looking and saying, well, I'm not going to go to church down there if those people can't be perfect. Well, here's the thing. If that is your mindset, then you're not allowed to come because we don't want you to mess up our perfectness. (laughs) If you do find a a perfect church, don't go because you'll mess it up with your imperfectness. How many know we're all imperfect, amen? But that's kind of one of the big excuses, but I'll I'll just kind of do a little bit of a, a recap over the last couple of weeks, but we were asking a lot of questions, and I think that we should. Constantly ask ourselves as Christians to make sure our purpose and our function as a Christian and a local church doesn't get lost. I think over the last several years, our purpose and our function as Christians and our purpose and our function as local churches and our purpose and function as pastors and, 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 and different ministry people, it has gotten lost and uh, we need to regain that. Uh, it's easy to put your life on autopilot and just go through the motions, even in good things like going to church. I think it's so important to constantly remind yourself, why do you go to church? Why do you church? 
What is the importance of attending and being connected to the church as an organization? And again, I'll say it, I've said it every week, but I don't really like to use the word organization. I'd rather say organism because the church is alive. It's a living thing. But how you know there is organization to the local church? There has to be, uh, the word of God says, do everything that you do for God decently and in order. Well, the, the root word of organization is order. So how you know there has to be order? Amen. And God has put, in, put people, Jesus said he, he, he put people in the church, a five-fold ministry, and a lot of that was to help keep order. One of our main points to this whole series is being involved in the local church shouldn't be about consumption only. I think not only did, did people begin to look at a church where their consumption level was good, the church played into that. Um, when I say the church, I mean leadership in the church played into that. And I actually saw the last, over the last 10, 20 years, maybe longer, that's just as long as I've been in, in church is, is 20, a little over 20. But I began to see great competition between denominations, great competi competition between actual churches, next door churches, because everybody was trying to prove that we, have, uh, we, we, we can help you consume more than the person down the road. We became consumer-minded. We became uh, Burger King churches and Walmart churches. And you know what I mean by that? Have it your way. I even heard of somebody saying they had comment cards. How are we doing as a church? That's crazy. You say, well, I'd like to give you a few pointers. Well, I'd like to give you a few. <laughs> if you're going to make me have a comment card, I'm going to give a comment card to you. You know how silly that is? You know how ridiculous that is? Meaning, if we're not pleasing you on every certain level as a church, then please let us know how we can better serve you. And I'm, I, I want to, I, I serve. I have no problem serving. But what happens is, is it breeds this idea that if I am not getting served to the level that I think I need to be served, then I'll go find another place that will serve me better. And I can't think of a more demonic thing than for Christians to go around looking for someone to serve them. I said, I can't think of a more demonic thing than to think, how can someone serve me better? See, that sounds foreign to you because we preached, come to our church, we'll serve you better than next door. No, 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 no. Our slogan is going to be, come to our church and we're going to see how well you can serve the Lord. I knew I wasn't going to get very many, but thank you for the two that I got. <laughs> My goodness, how far have we gotten away from the true meaning of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God? And I'm not here to serve, I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. It's not about consumption, it's about connection. If you're consumption-minded only, you will only show up when you're in need of spiritual information or you're in need to get your good deed fixed. I went to church today. God ought to be happy with me. If you understand the necessity for the body's connection to each other, you will not only come for what you get out of the connection, but you'll also understand the body, whole body needs your connection. I, I'm fully convinced that worship would have not been on the level that it was this morning if you didn't show up this morning. 
Why? Because the Lord wants us here connected, going after the same thing, which is Jesus. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. He says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am also. We got into this place and we gathered in his name. We were in unity. We were in unison. We were magnifying and glorifying him. In Acts the 13th chapter, it says, as they prayed and as they ministered to the Lord, the Lord spoke. You know why a lot, the Lord is not speaking in a lot of churches today? And there's been a lot of Sundays where the Lord, we, we may have read the word and the, and the Lord spoke through the word of God. But you guys understand and know I'm not, I'm not taking anything off of this or putting anything on it. There's been Sundays where we have come here out of faithfulness and the Lord didn't say nothing. And it's not because the Lord doesn't want to speak to you. But he speaks where we are gathered in his name. The Bible says he abides dwells in the presence of his, uh, uh, of his praises. Meaning, where we're together in one accord, worshiping him, he goes, there's my people right there. When we're together and we're praising his name, that's why it's so important. Even if, even if you're uh, you know, an old shy guy or an old sh- uh, shy girl, and you say, I just don't get whatever. That's why it's so important for us to open up our mouth and, and sing. You say, well, you don't want to hear me sing. It's not about how pretty you can sing. It's about how great you can praise the God who saved you from hell. <laughs> I don't, I, it wouldn't matter if I didn't know how to sing. And there were, there were lots of times back in my younger years I couldn't sing. But I would still lift up my voice because it wasn't about me hearing how beautiful my voice is. It was about me giving praise and glory and honor to a God who saved me when I wasn't worthy of being saved. And, he, and it says in his word that he dwells and lives in the praises of his people. And so when I wanted the room to fill up with the presence of God, when we want this room to fill up with the presence of God, then we have to lift our voice because that's the atmosphere that he lives in. He lives in praises. You say, I don't ever feel the presence of God. When do you ever lift up your voice and praise him? Well, I just, you know, I'm not that type of person. We'll get to being that type of person. There was a lot of times where you weren't certain certain things. Right? Yeah. Oh, sure. We're shy people. Especially down here in East Texas. Until you get a couple of Miller lights in you. <laughs> and then you're not so shy. So you'll let, the, the, you'll let alcohol change your personality, but you won't let the Holy Spirit change your personality. You a hypocrite? Oh, I'm just not that. No, no. A couple Miller lights, you'll be boot scooting boogieing under the neon moon. <laughs> but we get in church, boy, and we just mm, no, I don't hold none of that spirit stuff. I'm the shy person. I done gone to meddling. I'm sorry. <laughs> How do you know we're always better together? Amen. So this is week three. I'm going to go ahead and get in week three so I don't, I, I quit messing. Go to Colossians, second chapter. I wasn't always a preacher, even though when I started at 19, I started young. And this is funny, but it is also serious. I started young, I, and, and I was shy. I was super shy. I was a wallflower. 
in uh, Arkansas, well, I guess in Louisiana because it was Louisiana. You can go to the bar at 18, you just can't drink, but that doesn't apply. And I remember at 18 years old going down to the, to the uh, some of y'all probably been there, uh, rocking PVs down in Haynesville. Some of you old field hands, probably, y'all probably visited there. And I remember for the first time feeling the freedom of being intoxicated. And I was like, hey, I like that. I'm so, I'm, that person that I thought I was inside, I allowed, that, that was able to come out. But how many of you know, it's got a lot of repercussions to it too. And I got to go into church and drinking at the same time. One Wednesday, I, I, we fished and we drank. And I kind of had a little wreck on the way because I was intoxicated. And nobody caught us. And then I went right up to youth group like nothing was wrong. Something happened though. And that's something that happened was I, I left the realm of Jesus by association only. And I got in the true presence of God. And I experienced somewhat of the same thing, but on a purer level. On a level that didn't have negative repercussions. And as I began to get into the word of God, and as I began to pray, and as I began to let myself hear myself pray, open up my mouth and praise God. See, I haven't forgotten where we were at. I'm, I'm, I'm joining back up. I'm linking back up to where we were. Because I was shy. And the devil tried to fill that shyness with what he had. And it worked. Until I met something real, more real. That was the presence of God that forever changed my life. And then the next thing I know, I'm 18 years old. I'm going to Bible school. I'm in Bible school. They're asking me to pray in front of people. They're asking me to do this in front of people, do that in front of people. And I wanted to revert back to that shyness again. I wanted to revert back to that, oh, I don't do that kind of thing. But the Holy Spirit in me rose up and there was boldness in me because the Bible said that the righteous are bold as lions. I don't do what I do up here every morning because I'm naturally an outspoken person. But I found who I am in Christ. And Jesus Christ says that we are, if we're righteous, then we're bold as lions. We're bold as lions. I don't know about you, I've never really seen a lion too scared. I've never really seen a lion in the zoo going, you know, I'd roar today, but there's people here. Have you? You know, I'd lift up my voice and let the whole zoo know I'm here, but I'm not sure what the elephants would think. Come on, if you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, you shouldn't care what anybody thinks about when you lift up your voice, especially yourself. 
Oh, it's awkward. I'm not going to lie about that. It's awkward when you lift up your voice for the first time. Say, Pastor, why, why aren't you leaving this alone? Because there's some of you that need to get that freedom in your life. It don't matter if it's in this room or if it's down in your shop or if it's down in the woods. There's, there's, there is a lion on the inside of you that you need to hear its roar. And that lion isn't a lion that's going to help you be better at athlete, uh, athletics or better at singing or better at this or better at that. It's the lion of the, uh, that, that is the lion of the king of Judah that's on the inside of you. And when you let him out of you, there's, there's something just completely different. There were days, in my, and, and if I was thinking about this naturally, if I was thinking about what I do naturally, I would peek open that door and see all you guys out here, and I'd go, there's no way I'm talking in front of all them. I don't know what they would think. And I'm not going to sit here and say I don't care what you think, because that's not true. But I'd also rather be obedient to Jesus more than what I care what you think. Amen? You should be the same way. You should be the same way. It's not easy. I've already, I've already tried to explain to you, it's not my natural personality type to be doing any of this. But when Jesus came into my life, I became who I am in Him. Amen? Go to Colossians, the second chapter, the sixth verse. I want to kind of dip back into talking about that imperfect church. Colossians 2, verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you have received Jesus, so walk in him. As you have received, walk in him. Watch this, verse 7. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. As you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. Beware unless someone would cheat you. Cheat you of what? Cheat you of who you are in Christ. How are they going to cheat you of who you are in Christ? By a philosophy. What is philosophy? Philosophy is me just arguing my opinion to you. And people are really, really, really good about it today. They play on your emotions. They play on your feelings. They may play uh, on just straight up statistics and facts. And it has gotten whole, a whole generation to turn its back on Jesus, to turn its back on the church. And he says right here, he says, As you therefore receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. What does that mean? Hold on to the Jesus that you met. Hold on to his word. Be rooted in him. And beware of people that would cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. I've been there. I'm not going to be so arrogant to say that I know, um, you know, tons, on, uh, you know, as far as like can quote tons of scripture. But I, I know my word. I know the Bible. But I've even ran into people where I'm having a conversation and they make such a valid point that it makes me want to question what I believe. 
But then the Holy Spirit on the inside of me goes, no, 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 no. It's just somebody trying to deceive you through their philosophy. It says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. According to the basic principles of the world. See, you can be deceived by the basic principles of the world. Let me give you an example. How many of you know that there are things in the United States that are legal, that we've made okay, that by God's standards are not? Well, is that fair enough? So what can happen is the world can be okay with it. Society can be okay with it. Your friends and your family and your community can be okay with it. But it still doesn't mean that that's what God has in store for us as men and women of God. So let's read that again. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. Why do we do this? Don't you know the word of God says that that's not right? Yeah, but it's just what we do around here. It's just how I was... Finish it. Raised. Well, what if you were raised wrong, even if you like the way you were raised? What if? What if you were raised wrong? They say blood is thicker than water, and what they mean is it doesn't really matter what my kinfolks do. Our our bond is is stuck together because of blood. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus' blood ought to be thicker than how you're raised. I said I was going to quit meddling, but I just didn't, did I? What if you were raised wrong? What if I was raised wrong? You stopped talking about my grandpa. He was a good man. He might have been a great man, but he might have not known everything. I'm sure I'd have liked him. But if he taught you that it was okay to do something that's not okay in the Word, that he taught you wrong. I'm sorry. If your culture raised you contrary to the word of God, your culture can be wrong. Okay, I'll move on. I'm not, I'm not getting as many accolades anymore. I'm starting to feel, starting to feel self-conscious here. Oh, goodness. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision without, made without hands, meaning that your flesh was cut away in him. Uh, buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead and you being dead in your trespasses and, uh, and the uncircumcision of your heart uh, I'm sorry of your flesh he has made alive together with him 
having forgiven you all trespasses. Isn't that good? He's forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. This is where things get tricky. It's not tricky, but it, it can be. And it's the whole reason why the book of Hebrews was written. The reason why the book of Hebrews was written is because people received this forgiveness of sins. But then they didn't really fully understand that receiving the forgiveness of sins by accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is that now I have a relationship with the Son of God. Which sounds great until we mess up and we sin and we have to go before him. And then all of a sudden, people started going, you know what? It was a little easier on my conscience when I got to do whatever I wanted to do and then I got to just supply the, the priest with an animal and they went and sacrificed it for me and made me good with God the rest of the time. And the writer of Hebrews says, listen, here's the problem with that. When Jesus came, he did away with that whole thing. There's not, and, and actually the word of God actually says, there is now no sacrifice for sin. That Jesus Christ made one sacrifice for all. And when he made that sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God and he said, it's finished. And that's what this is talking about. And this is, this is wonderful news for us. Because what it means is, and, and I'll read it again, but the word of God says he, that God through Jesus actually took away the law. He actually took away the rules, the requirements. You say, that don't sound like the God that I grew up, I mean, the God I grew up knowing would strike you dead if you messed up. The God I grew up knowing was angry all the time. We didn't grow up knowing the forgiving God, the grace God. You say, oh, wait a minute, I've heard that word before. Yeah, <laughs> you should have heard the word grace before. Because it was grace that allowed you to be saved. Amen? You say, so we can just do whatever we want and God still loves us? I didn't say that. Because Paul said, if we understood what God did, through, did for us through Jesus, we wouldn't want to abuse the grace of God. So let's read it again. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of, of the sins of the flesh... By the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you, being, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way. He has taken it out of the way. Having nailed it to the cross. Watch this. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or a new Sabbath, 
which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, including, I mean, I'm sorry, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with an increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Say, my goodness, can you tell me what that means? I can sum it up real simple. Your salvation, your connection to heaven, your citizenship in heaven is not subject or it's not made valid or invalid by what you do or don't do. It's made valid by who saved you. It's made valid by who your Savior is. Jesus made it valid. You say, well, pastor, I still mess up and I've got problems. And I don't like these problems. Good, I'm glad you don't like them. And I'm glad you recognize them as a problem. But stop allowing your sins and your problems to rob you of who you are in Christ. Repent. That's not a bad word. That's a good word. It just means to turn around. Repent, go to the throne room of grace to obtain mercy and help in a time of need. Stop justifying it. Stop running away from God. Stop trying to act like, right here, this is what I have found out in 20-something years of being a minister. This is what I found out. People who are the most judgy, people who judge other people the most, are the ones who are hiding their sin the best. That's what I found out. How about you? The most caring, the ones that lead you to a God of grace and mercy, I found out those are the ones who are being the most real with their faith because they've recognized and realized that if I am going to do anything for God and I'm going to be who God has called me and created me to be, it's not going to be because I mess up and run away and justify and hide and all that stuff. It's going to be because I own up to who I am and I go to his feet and I say, God, I'm here again today and I know I haven't lost my salvation because you, you, you saved me and while I was still yet a sinner, I repented of my sins. I asked you for forgiveness. You gave me that forgiveness. I did mess up and I'm coming back to tell you I messed up. I recognize that I messed up and I just thank you, Father, right now that I'm in right standing with you not because of what I've done but because of what Jesus has done now restore me God restore my heart now you might mess up 
in the community. You might mess up on a federal level. You might mess up on a level that, that destroys your family. And those are consequences that are in the world. They're consequences. But I'm here to tell you the only way that your life will be restored is when you don't run away from God, but you run to Him. I'm almost done. I got a few little things I want to I just tack on to this ser- series of scriptures here. It's, it's become the popular thing. This is a popular saying right now in the church. You've probably heard of it. Deconstruct. Deconstruction. Deconstruction. And it's become very, very popular to deconstruct. Deconstructing, I'll just say it like this. If you're not aware of it, what it means is, uh, very, very simply, people have felt like the church is imperfect. It's wrong. Uh, you know, and, and basically they're blaming um, everything that they are, all the imperfections they have in their life on a church that's imperfect. Uh, imperfect. <laughs> that's basically what it means. And so what I have seen is a lot of people will, will blame everything negative going on in their life on a church that was imperfect. And so they want to deconstruct their faith. They want to deconstruct, and, and, and really what it has become is it's become just a major excuse to leave church. Because then you can leave, and people say, why did you leave? say, well, because y'all aren't perfect down there. They won't say that, because they know how that sounds. But that is the gist of it. I'm not making light of it, but I'm just giving you the uh, translation. It's becoming a popular thing to deconstruct. Deconstructing bad theology are useless traditions that hold people in religion instead of a relationship with Jesus is a good thing. So if we have bad theology, and we discover that, then I think we do need to deconstruct and reconstruct that. I heard a guy say something that was so sad, and it was because they had discovered that what their denomination believed about a certain thing in the Bible was wrong. He admittedly said, I see in the Bible where this is right, and we've been wrong. And he said, but for us to now agree with that, we would have to change our whole program. then change it. <laughs> and that's why I'm so thankful that I feel like we're in a, we're in a, we're in a church, we're in a, an atmosphere here that we're after the Word of God. And if we feel like that we've discovered in the Word of God where we've been wrong, we want to change. How about you? How many of you want to change? I don't want to remain. I don't want to get in and go, okay, give me the rules of this denomination And let me see how much of it I agree with, whether it's in the word or not, and I'll just abide by those rules the rest of my life. No, 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 no. We abide by the word, not the rules of a denomination. Some of you know the rules of a denomination can be wrong. The rules of a denomination can be the opinions of some person 200 years ago not founded on the word of God. Some rules to denominations can be somebody's personal pet peeve of what they like. Amen? It's got nothing to do with the Word of God. Now, sure, you can make anything, you can take any scripture in the Word of God and make it mean something. You say, really? Yeah, the Bible says that Judas went out and hanged himself. Have y'all ever heard that scripture? The Bible also says, go out and do likewise. 
just not in the same context. So you can make the word say whatever you want it to say. You better make sure the things that are on the inside of you are founded on the word of God. And that we're following it because it's the word of God. It's the correct interpretation of the word of God. Why? Because there are people out there that want to deceive. I'm witnessing people using, talking about this deconstructing, I'm witnessing people using the imperfections of the church as their excuse to walk away and not be a part of the church. I want to make a a couple of bold statements since I already have this morning. One, you cannot be a part of the body of Christ without being a part of the body of Christ. Sure I can. I don't have to go to church to be saved. Yeah, technically you're right. Technically you're right. But I have personally witnessed some of the strongest men and women of God that I have ever met be brought to a place of complacency, deception, delusion, because they set themselves apart from the local body. I have personally met people who I would have never, ever, ever thought in a million years. And it all started with retracting from the local body. No one is strong enough to serve God on their own. Not one person. Listen, I had, I had a friend, have a friend, that because of their circumstance, their, their ministry circumstance, they began to miss church. Now, he didn't really miss church, but his family did all the time. Always another excuse, always another excuse. Strong Christians, strong beliefs, crazy calling of God on their life which today is in shambles. And I can't tell you how many times I spoke to this person in, in, in love, in appropriate times, and said, you need to get your family to where they, they will go to church. You need, they need to be. And, I, and I, to be honest with you, I never thought it would get to the place that it got. These are people who've been to Bible school These are people who have stood on the stage and ministered. These are people who God has used mightily. These are people who know the Bible. But I think you can trace it back to the fact that they removed their self from the local body. No one's strong enough to serve God on their own. It was never the intention for you to serve God outside of the local church, and therefore any attempt to serve God apart from the local church, I believe, will result in failure. So what do you do about imperfections and bad doctrine that takes over a local body or a denomination? What do you do about that? Because how many know there are things that go wrong in the church, right? I mean, if there's grave, you know, misinterpretations or just control or anything like that, then I would begin to ask God if, 
if you were supposed to go to a different church, you know, a different local body, but not to get out of church altogether. But here would be my suggestion. You pray. You stay in the Word. You make sure that you're serving God through your relationship with Jesus and not out of a desire to look perfectly religious. You make sure that you're interacting with the rest of Christ's body biblically and not religiously. Amen? We don't put religious rules and regulations on people to control them into acting right. People will never act right because of religious manipulation. Only an experience with Jesus and his Holy Spirit changes people. Only people who hear the word, receive the word, and walk out the word will change their behavior. We have, we have had hundreds of years of acting saved. You can, you can see it right from the beginning, like I said in the book of Hebrews. People were trying to act saved. They realized they couldn't do it, but we've had hundreds of years of acting saved as a church instead of walking out our salvation, and it's gotten us into a place of dead religion instead of the people of God walking out a powerful, spirit-filled, hell-redeemed life. And this is why we must church. If we don't continue to dig in and protect the church, her integrity and her mission, it will be torn apart by critics and deceived people. People fighting for equality of fleshly desires instead of people fighting the good fight of faith. That's my, that was my last point, so I'm going to make it one more time. There are people in the church right now, I believe, that they want to deconstruct all this stuff. Not, I'm not necessarily talking about in our church personally, but just everywhere because of the information that's out there that if we don't protect the church, we don't protect her integrity, we don't protect her mission, it's going to be torn apart by critics. It'll be, now, the church, God's church will always stand. Let me make that perfectly clear. The bride of Christ will be the way he says it will be. But local churches can be destroyed. Have anybody ever witnessed a local church be destroyed? Maybe you once knew it was there and it was a great church and now it's not there anymore. Well, how many you know that a local church can be destroyed? And, and I'm praying and believing God for the, for the, you know, the global church, but I'm also, this is our church. And we cannot let its integrity be torn apart. We can't let deceived people decide uh, because of, of these desires for fleshly equality. Does that make sense? Fleshly. Well, that's not fair. If you do for one, you got to do for the... No, no, no. We have to follow the Holy Spirit. We have to follow the Word of God. The Word of God's not even fair. Do you know that? By our standards. You say, I don't believe that. Well, I'll, 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 I'll quote some scripture for you and then we'll be done. There's a story in the Bible of the man who, who passed out talents to his workers. And he gave one one and he gave one two and he gave one five. Already by our standards, that's not fair. How come that guy got five and I only got one? Because God knows what's best for me and you. So the guy with five doubled it, made ten. And when the master came back in Jesus' parable, he says, well done, 
Good, faithful servant. So he goes to the one with two. He said, what would you do? He goes, I doubled mine too. Well done, that good and faithful servant. He goes to the one with one. He said, what did you do with it? He said, well, I knew you were a hard master. I knew that you were the type of master that expects to reap where he's never even sown. Doesn't that sound like somebody who's in sin and they know they're in sin and rather than just admitting it, they start saying, I know you are this way and you are that way and you are this way and you are that way. He knew he had done wrong. He knew he had been lazy. He knew he had been slothful. So rather than own up to that, he began to blame the master who gave him something in the beginning. Anyway, he didn't deserve it. He just gave it to him to see what he would do with it. And he said, but I knew you were hard and I, and I knew you expect to reap where you've not even sown. So I took the one little talent you gave me and I went and buried it so that when you came back, at least I would have that and I wouldn't lose it. So here you go. Here's your one talent back. And in Jesus' parable, the master says, you're wicked and slothful. And he took the one talent and he gave it to the guy with ten Do you see how if we're not careful when we're looking for God to just be fair and we judge it based on worldly fairness, meaning that if you get 10, I get 10. No, sometimes in the kingdom of God, you'll watch somebody get 10 and you get one. But we're all called to be the same amount of faithful, whether it's 10 or 1. We're all called to be the same amount of faithful. So how does this translate to us in the church? There are going to be parts and members of the church that get to do things because that's how God graced them, that you covet or you want to do, but God's never set you up to do that. He set you up to do this over here. And if you're not careful, you can waste your whole time serving God being a little bitter on the inside because you don't get to do what that person does and you waste the whole time of what God really wanted to do with you. Because I want to do that or I want to do this or I really thought that God would do it this way in my life or I really thought that God would do it that way in my life and you really have got a self-centered gospel instead of a Jesus-centered gospel. And our churches have got to get back to a place where the gospel and the church is not about me and mine, but the gospel is about Jesus, Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father. You remember those days where it's not about me, but it's about him? It's not about how the church served me this morning. It's about how did I worship God this morning? How did I serve other people this morning? How did, what did I bring into that place this morning? Did I bring a supply into that place this morning? Did I bring the joy of the Lord in that place with me this morning? Did I bring hope into that place this morning? Did I bring worship into that place this morning? Did I bring generosity into that place this morning? It doesn't matter what I get out of it. What did I bring into it? Because the Bible says, if you don't give grudgingly or of necessity, that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. See, we think that's money. It can be money. But if you even come to church grudgingly or of necessity, that's not a cheerful giver. There, I'm a, I'm a pulpit pounder. Man, everything we do for God has got to be done out of a place of love and joy. 
I'm happy to be here. I don't have to be here. I'm happy to be here. I don't have to come suffer with you this morning. I love suffering with you this morning. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's awesome. I love the church. I love church people. I, I've done got to the place in my life where even when somebody does something completely, I'll just say weird instead of stupid, completely weird, even if it affects me, it, it's, it's almost comical to me. Why? Because I love the church. And I love people. Say, why do you love the church and why do you love people? Because Jesus loves the church and Jesus loves people. I want to love what he loves. How about you? I want to thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you would like to help us increase our outreach, please like, share, and subscribe to our channel so that we can bring the word of God to friends and family near you. Don't forget you can check out our location, other podcasts and service times on our website at woftx.com. If you're in the East Texas area, we'd love for you to stop by and join in for one of our services. We're glad you chose our podcast. Be blessed. We'll see you next time.